By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. This is the word of the Lord. As you're sitting, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, as we take a look here in Hebrews 11 at the life of Moses and his parents and the short summary of what took many years to transpire, Father, may, may we see your grace, may we see your mercy, may we see your justice. Father, may, uh, may we walk faithfully just as Moses and his parents did. Father, for your glory and for our good, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So just to catch us up, without diving too much back into the life of Moses, leading up to these moments, you have the Israelites that are in slavery under the Egyptians. And as they grew in numbers, fearing the number of the Israelites... The Pharaoh decreed that all Hebrew baby boys be killed. After Moses is born, his parents conceal him in a, for three months and then send him down the Nile, trusting him to the Lord's care. Moses, then found by Pharaoh's daughter, is raised in Pharaoh's home. Then fast forward, Moses eventually kills one of the brutal taskmasters. He flees to Midian where he gets his wife and lives for roughly 40 years. God then calls him to go set his people free. Enter the ten plagues, and there we have it. Faith always reveals itself in decisions. That's the title for today. Faith always reveals itself in decisions. That's why you've heard me say, if you've been around here for any length of time, if you haven't and you're fresh, I will tell it to you for the first time. Every decision matters. Every decision matters. No decision is just simply A or B. No decision is just simply a wisdom decision. If we learn anything in Romans, let everything you do be done by faith. So every decision made or left unmade matters. Every choice, I've said it this way before, could be the first choice beginning a long stream of stupid choices. Now, the quality of the decision is not determined by the difficulty of the path chosen. What I mean by that is faith is not necessarily taking some big leap. You cannot define or discern, was it a good decision, based on how absurd the choice made was. Faith is most often, 
or faithful decision making is most often simply doing the normal mundane things that God has called us to do. That's why you see the sticker that we've started handing out where it says the resistance. What is it? It's just a normal family going to a normal church, raising normal kids, right? At least biblically, that's what's normal. That's, that's why the sticker makes sense, if you haven't figured that out yet. See, Moses had a decision to make. Am I going to identify myself with the Hebrew slaves and their God, or am I going to identify with the royal court of Egypt and their gods? The latter, which was all that he had known. Remember, he was found at three months old by Pharaoh's daughter and raised from that time on. He did not remember the first three months of his life. Consider what was at stake very briefly here. During this era, one of the greatest superpowers and one of the greatest evidence of worldly prestige and honor. That's what Moses was a part of. And remember, during this era, during this time, royalty was equal to divinity. I mean, Pharaoh was seen as a god and worshipped as a god. And he was in his house. All the pleasures he could dream of. Future kids that like him because he could give them anything they wanted. A boss with great promotions. A wife where he could enjoy faux peace because he could buy her happiness. There was a lot for Moses to leave on the table if he chose to identify himself with the Hebrew slaves and their God. But it wasn't just that he would leave these worldly, potentially good things at least from the world's perspective, but he would be exchanging it for mistreatment with the people of God, ultimately sharing in the disgrace of Christ. I mean, what a trade. And we have a hard time facing a sports ball coach and telling him or her no. And we have a hard time facing our family or our spouse to tell them no. Or our boss no, I won't work those extra hours because I don't care about your promotion. Or honey, you know, I've got to find another job now because I told my boss that he needed Jesus because he was going to hell for dishonoring the king. I mean, I, I know, like, that's just like lost on us. That's what Moses does. Honey, I got to find a new job because I made my boss angry. I told him he needed to let God's people go. Faith always reveals itself in decisions. My first point for today is faith chooses God over the state. Faith chooses God over the state, the government. Every single time. Faith chooses God over the state. Or big daddy state, however you want to refer to it. 
Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. There's speculation. No one is for sure what they mean by the child was beautiful. Most commentators argue that, that they, they think that that means that they recognized that there was a special purpose for Moses. I'm going to spend more of my time on the things around that phrase. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months. The, the by faith is connected to the by his parents, by the way. The way the ESV reads there is a little confusing. But his parents are operating in faith at this point in what they do. So let's start off with a fun one here at the beginning, defying Big Daddy State. This point might really get me labeled as a cult leader. In 2020, we learned afresh just how evil and twisted the state was. Seeing just what they could get away with, ruining life after life after life, they seized control over people's schedules, over people's gatherings, emotions, and even their faces. They told churches whether they could meet or couldn't, how they could meet, when they could meet, and so on. And if you've been paying attention, some of this nonsense is kicking back up again. Example two, the letter mafia and its agenda in the state-ran schools, coming out days, gender education curriculum, keeping secret from parents the gender desires of their kids. Third example of the state, agriculture. I can only sell as a farmer either live chicken or processed chicken. I cannot sell both, and I can sell no more than 1,000 a year. If I want to sell rabbits, I can sell them however I want to, whenever I want to, and however many of them I want to. Why the inconsistency? Next, taxes. First Samuel 8.15 it says this. He, speaking of this potential king, will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. Now, if you go back and read the context of 1 Samuel 8, Samuel is warning Israel that you will have an evil king and one of the marks will be that he will take a tenth of everything you have. Now, why is that such a big deal? Because if God only requires a tenth then anyone who would try to also take a tenth is trying to rival God. Our government takes way more than a tenth when you begin to add it all up. Why? Because our state thinks it's God. Someone I was recently talking to about this tried to push back on this by saying, well, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And I simply said, well, but that is the question. What exactly is Caesar's? I don't think it computed, unfortunately. But I thought we're supposed to obey the government so long as it doesn't cause me to sin. I think the other question we should ask, though, is how is the government sinning and how do we respond to that? Just some examples in our current moment of where the state is outside of God's bounds, 
outside of his law. Now notice here, and I already drew this out, drew your attention to this a little bit, but now I want to push in a little bit further, that it's by faith that Moses' parents defied the government. Now, that, that, they were supposed to have him put to death. They were supposed to, to kill Moses. They were supposed to see him die. Instead, they kept him alive, and they kept him hidden for three months. They clearly defied the orders of Pharaoh. And they not only said no once, they continued to say no day after day after day after day. Every day Moses' life was left to be lived was a day of defiance. Also, don't miss this, though, that their defiance was not haphazard. It was organized and strategic. Couple things. They sent him down the Nile right into the dragon's mouth. You think they had no clue who would be just down the river? I mean, they would be sending Moses to his death if they just haphazardly sent him down the river in a basket. What, for another, another Hebrew lady to pick up? I mean, but also, if that doesn't convince you, how about the fact that they kept him for three months, hidden? There was thoughtfulness and carefulness. When you live as a slave in what was probably something like a mud hut, how do you keep a newborn baby quiet when the Egyptian taskmasters walk by? How many of their neighbors, their slave neighbors, knew that Moses was there and alive? I mean, certainly we're speculating, but I imagine it'd be hard to keep Moses a secret between Moses' mom and dad. The community around them had to have helped in the defying of the state. Next, it says that they were not afraid of the king's edict. They were not afraid. I mean, let, let's, let's put this in perspective. When you and I think about defying the state, we think about things like, man, I could get a fine. You know, I could lose my job. Uh, you know, I could, um, you know, get a bad social score. Uh, I could get a bad review. I could go to jail. Pharaoh was actively killing their kids. Active. I mean, there were thousands and thousands of children being murdered. What do, you think, what do you think in their minds they realize is at stake here if they continue in their defiance? Not only would Moses be killed, they would be killed. And probably their entire household. And anyone that helped them. At a snap of a finger, kill them all. But they go about their business rather strategically and it says that they do so without fear. 
and by faith. Next, their actions were by faith, meaning in part that they were righteous. These were righteous acts. That means that there are times where defying the state is the righteous thing to do. And I know, I know, I know the church has been petted to death when it comes to this. We've been lulled to sleep. Just go by with whatever the government says. Just go along with whatever the state says. You know, so long as you're not the one pulling the trigger, who cares? Let the state do what the state does. But here, by faith, they defied the state. That's a summary statement of the summary statement. It was good and right. It was honorable for them to defy the state, to rebel against it. Caesar says, all the young male babies are mine, and I want them dead. You know, render under Caesar what is Caesar's, right? Well, Caesar says that my son is his, so I must render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. I mean, how absurd does that sound? None of us would do that. Moses' parents said, by faith, no, Caesar, they're not. He's not yours, and I will not give him to you. But where do we as the people of God need to defy the state in our day? I can think of a few. Giving tax money to support abortions. We should figure out ways to defy the state. Giving tax money to public schools that indoctrinate kids with paganism. We should figure out a way to change that. Playing along with the government and preferred pronoun nonsense. We should defy that. Playing house with gay mirage. We should defy that. Letting the state get away with disobeying God's laws. We should fight against that. Their actions were by faith. Where do you? Where, where, are, where have you been lulled to sleep? Where we should say, the, the government is out of bounds here. And I'm going to stand against that. Pharaoh's commands were clearly unjust. And Moses' parents clearly trusted in God's words. And so they defied the state. They took an axe and chopped down the state by sending their deliverer right into the dragon's mouth. Next, faith chooses the people of God over fleeting pleasures of sin. Again, faith reveals itself in decisions. Faith chooses the people of God over fleeting pleasures of sin every time. Look at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was growing up, Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God 
than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I mean, that, that fleeting pleasures of sin right there, we've, again, we, I, and I alluded to this in the intro, we put this in context. There was so much offered to Moses with the title that he bore. I mean, if there was anyone at this moment in time who had all the pleasures of sin at his fingertips, it's Moses. I mean, next to Pharaoh himself, Moses. All the prestige, all the honor, a part of the royal court of not President Biden. We're talking about someone who is worshipped as God. I mean, Biden is by some. I don't know why, but but Pharaoh worshipped as God. And he sat very near to him. Anything he wanted was his to have. And Moses chose, though, to identify with the people of God. Now this, again, this is not just an identifying with God, but an identification with God's people. He chose to be with God's people. And the point is this, being mistreated with the people of God is better than having the fleeting pleasures of sin. I'm going to push on this as we go here. But being mistreated with the people of God is better than having the fleeting pleasures of sin. One quick note, if you could step to the side here with me. Notice that at this point in the story, Moses is, Moses is not saying something like, well, I just hope I can find a, a place to belong with the people of God, or I just don't know how I fit in, or I just don't speak their language. I, I mean, Moses had been a part of Pharaoh's court his entire life. There, there was, compared to the, the worldly things and the fleshly things that he had, being identified with the Hebrew people offered him nothing compared to those riches. So he's not looking at the people of God going, well, what, what can I get out of this? Or what can they give me? If I identify with them, maybe they'll make me their king. I mean, Moses isn't thinking any of those things. Some of us struggle in this realm. You could take or leave the people of God. By our actions, often it's, it shows that it's just something on the side that we do. Something that we do when it's convenient. We help this person, or we think about this person, we pray for this person, or we serve this, if I have time. Some of us have better relationships with people who are not the people of God. That doesn't make any sense, but we'll entertain it for a second. I wonder, I, I just wonder if that's because there are fleeting pleasures of sin that entice you to identify more with them than with the people of God, particularly the people of God that you're in covenant with. You say, well, but there are, but there are Christians too. My question would be, are, are they really? What makes you so sure? Listen, the primary way in which you and I identify with God's people today is through our local church. It's the primary, it doesn't mean it's the only way, but it's the primary way. 
We do all the let us this, let us this, let us this. We do that all within the local church. And here's the warning. There will come a day, or maybe you're in the middle of a day like this now, or there might come multiple days when you will be tempted to choose the fleeting pleasures of sin rather than identify with the people of God. Now listen, this doesn't mean that you're all going to be tempted with the fleeting pleasures of being gay or something like that. It could be the fleeting pleasures of being soft on sin or the fleeting pleasures of pursuing money or a different kind of lifestyle or faux peace instead of choosing to identify with the people of God. Identifying with the people of God, meaning loving the things that they love, doing the things that they do, aiming for the goals they are aimed at, banding together to build God's kingdom, and to really press this in, even when it involves being mistreated, even when it involves being mistreated love God and love the people of God next faith chooses abuse over prestige faith chooses abuse over prestige Look at verse 26 with me. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. We're going to hang here for a good bit. First of all, he considered. I think this word's been mentioned a little bit the past couple weeks. He considered. Listen, faith makes a person wise. Faith makes a person wise, even when the world thinks that we are anything but. Someone said this. I'm going to adopt this as my own. Faith is sanctified common sense. Faith is sanctified common sense. And I'm going to show you how, why, that's the, why that's the case from this verse as we go here. Boy, did we need sanctified common sense when it came to the, Nova, the COVID nonsense. We should have never ceased gathering together, and we should have never put on those dumb masks. Listen, faith, it was back to the beginning. Talk about faith and its... Uh, it's not just choosing the absurd path. So, so faith is not just absurdity. Faith is not choosing the crazy direction. Like Faith is not always a leap. Sometimes faith is just the next common sense step. Someone said this, faith, and, and this, this, is, this, is like, this is what's happening here in 26. Faith is making God the grandest asset in our account 
and then reckoning according to the soundest logic. Let me say that again. Faith is making God the grandest asset in our account and then reckoning according to the soundest logic. He goes on. It is not putting my hands into boiling water with the impression that it will not scald me. It is not doing the foolish and absurd things. Faith is believing in God and acting toward God as we ought to do. Faith is believing in God and acting toward God as we ought to do. So here's what happens with Moses. This is the picture. Moses considered who God was and what God had said. He considered the circumstances that laid before him, and then he acted toward God as he ought. So, so again, that's why we've been painting this picture. What's he got? What's at stake? You go on this side, you've got the treasures of Egypt. On this side, mistreatment with God, or mistreatment with God's people by those first people. And in the middle of those circumstances, Moses considers God and what God has said. And then he acts towards God as he ought. Look at that last phrase. He was looking to the reward. He was looking to the reward. He considered, again, on one hand, the treasures of Egypt. On the other hand, the reproach of Christ. But the reproach of Christ came with a future reward. And what was the outcome of his considering? The latter option was greater. Let me quote someone. Moses wanted what was best, as we all do. And according to the calculation of faith, he chose present affliction over pleasure, the disgrace of Christ over the treasures of Egypt. He put these side by side, and by faith he reckoned contrary to sight, considering the one as greater than the other. J.C. Ryle puts it this way, faith told Moses that affliction and suffering were not real evils. They were the school of God in which he trains the children of grace for glory, the medicines which are needful to purify our corrupt wills, the furnace which must burn away our dross, the knife which must cut the ties that bind us to the world. Marvel, this is, this is key, this is where I like a this is where I want to land the plane, right here. Marvel not, this is Ryle, marvel not that Moses refused greatness, riches, and pleasure. He looked far forward. He saw with the eye of faith kingdoms crumbling into dust, riches making to themselves wings and fleeing away, pleasures leading on to death and judgment, and Christ only and his little flock enduring forever. He saw with the eye of faith affliction lasting but for a moment, reproach rolled away and ending in everlasting honor and the despised people of God reigning as kings with Christ in glory. 
That's what Moses saw. So we shouldn't, here's the point, don't marvel that Moses would give up all of these treasures. Don't think, wow, he's crazy, that's insane. Instead, you need to look at Moses and say, of course he'd choose the way he did. It's the only wise option. It's the only thing that makes sense. Moses simply chose the greater reward. It's just he had the faith to see it. There's nothing to marvel at. Don't marvel that he left all of these awesome things behind. You would only, the only person who would leave that great reward in order to have these silly treasures is someone who is foolish and prideful, stupid, or an idiot. Moses simply made the choice that made the most sense. And it made sense to him because he could see it with faith. It made sense to his parents. They could die. But what made more sense? Keeping the deliverer alive. Keeping their son alive. That made more sense. Moses chose the reproach of Christ. He chose to be abused by those who hated Christ. He chose to be abused by other leaders, even by his adopted family, his state. He chose the pain and suffering. He chose the hatred. The point of Hebrews here is that Moses' faith was faith in Jesus. That was his, that's the point. And you say, well, but how so? Jesus was not alive. Where's Jesus at? He has not come yet. We're still you know, thousands of years away. But Moses knew that God would send a Savior to deliver his people and build his kingdom. Moses knew this. Moses also knew, though, that between here and there lay a cross. Maybe not a literal cross in his mind, but disgrace and reproach, pain, suffering. He knew that between here and there, there lay a sacrifice. Moses' disgrace, namely being rejected from the house, fits the pattern of Christ. Christ being rejected from the house, the house of his people, facing the disgrace and the suffering. Now, of course, Christ would do this perfectly. He would do this later, perfectly. Someone said this, he knew that the prizes of earth were contemptible compared with the ultimate reward of God. And that is the way of Christ, the way of fellowship in his sufferings. So you see Moses choosing fellowship with the sufferings of Christ at this point. So Moses chose to be reviled among man, to suffer at the hands of man, because he believed that God was the greater 
reward. Did you hear that? His parents chose to defy the state because they believed God was the greater reward than the approval of the state or than keeping the state off their back. He chose to do what was right and identify with the people of God because he believed that the reward of God was better than the reward of any pleasure that comes from sin. Now, when, when, let me ask you this question. When you think about suffering and God being your greater reward, what is the cause of that suffering primarily? I want you to go back to the context. But I want you to compare, like when you think of suffering for Christ, what, are you, what do you tend to think of like suffering? I think what most of us tend to think of is like suffering from medical issues or things like that. That's not the context here. That's, that's, not, that's not even the context of, of Christ, even though he suffers physically. That, that's not the, like, the emphasis. With Moses, the suffering is primarily from evil people, from pagans. They cause the reproach. They bring about the pain. Let me paraphrase Spurgeon here. When people no longer slander and persecute you, you should be afraid. Remember, dogs bark at strangers. Now, what does Jesus say about this particular point? In Matthew 5, 11 through 12, he says, blessed are you, right? Blessed are you when? When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. That's, that's what Moses is believing here. Moses is saying, they're going to revile me, that I'm going to be disgraced, like I'm going to have all of this suffering. And why did he do it? Because he believed there was a reward that was greater that awaited him. So he was able to walk faithfully toward that. That is the choice that Moses made and the reward that he sought. Jesus says, you are blessed when you are slandered falsely on my account. Why? Why? Because you've chosen to look forward through the mess to a greater reward than being liked by those pagans right now. That's what he's saying is, Moses, you're looking forward to this greater reward even though all the pagan Egyptians are going to crucify you now. Jesus being crucified now, why? Because of the reward that awaited him. Again, just, this, is, this, is where we've, we've, this is where our faith has to increase. Is when you choose 
the future reward. You're not giving much up. Compared to that reward, if you, the more you feel like you're having to give up more here and now is revealing how little you think of what's to come. Only an idiot would want good reviews from a pagan when the other option is God. Only a fool would want the approval of the government when the, other, when the reward is God. Husbands, you're a fool if you want the approval of your wife over the reward of God. Wives, same for you. Kids, a fool would want the approval of your friends over the reward of God. Listen, faith is sanctified common sense. Why would you choose the fleeting pleasures of sin now? Why would you choose these things now when that's what awaits you? Don't applaud Moses for giving up all of those pleasures. It was nothing compared to what was light ahead. It was nothing. What your boss has to offer you is nothing compared to what Christ offers you. What your neighbor or your friend offers you is nothing compared to what Christ offers you. Again, I'll say it again. The harder it is for you to give up those fleeting pleasures now reveals how little you think of the reward to come. So how do you, how do you give up these fleeting pleasures now more easily? Build, strengthen, increase your faith in what's to come. Study it. Know it. Ask God to grant you eyes to see it, believe it, to grab a hold of it. Because when you do, then when it comes to choosing, you will simply do as you ought. You'll simply do as you ought. Tomorrow, when it comes, you're frustrated with your kids, and you're trying to, and I'm preaching myself here, and you're trying to parent them, and you have the choice between biting their heads off, metaphorically speaking, in case you're confused, uh, or choosing to be patient and display Christ appropriately to them. You will simply do as you ought. When this reward is greater in your eyes. Same can be true of your spouse and so on and so forth. Maybe we can tease out some examples tomorrow on cold pizza. And what's the natural response that Jesus said that should happen when you choose reviling and persecution falsely on my account? What's he say? Rejoice. Be glad. Rejoice and be glad. Now, we don't know exactly how Moses, as he's running from Egypt to Midian, you know, when he's fleeing the king, I don't know if he's, you know, 
popping a bottle of scotch and dancing and jumping and you know, throwing a party, but he should have been. He should have been. The whole way there, he should have been celebrating and rejoicing. They hate me because I love God. They hate me because I love God. I've dropped the bomb right over the target. They hate me because I love God. Should be throwing a dance party when someone mistreats you because of Christ's name upon you. And that's the choice we all must make. Faith always reveals itself in decisions. Do you want the approval of the world? Or do you want the reward of God himself? And as the kids say today, you choose, modern man. Let's pray. Father, by your grace, by your power, by spirit, and the work of your word in us, Father, bring about faith and the future reward that is you and all that that entails. That would believe that it is immeasurably greater than anything the ruler of this age, the principality, the pagans, the evil around us, anything that they might have to offer. And anything that our own flesh might desire that is evil. So that in that moment, in those little moments of choosing, whether it's choosing what to say or not to say or what to look at or not to look at, how to react, or that we would simply choose as we ought and we would go about rejoicing when the disgrace comes. Father, I ask that you would do that with the people of Christ the Lord Church. And that as they do that, that those adjacent to them would be so influenced and encouraged to do likewise. Father, for your glory, your kingdom, and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.